Hi, I'm the host, Chip James. And I'm the producer, Katie Matthews. And if you're anything like us, you have a heart for Dayton, Ohio. And maybe you've been looking for a place where you can hear more about the interesting people and businesses that make Dayton such a special place to call home. Well, that's why we created the new Dayton podcast to celebrate a new era in our great town. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy. Well, uh, the Black Box Improv Theater is Dayton's only and obviously Dayton's most well-known improv theater. Its founder, Justin Howard, graduated from Tip High School in Tip City and went to Wittenberg. And uh, now he's, after some travels, he's uh, back in Dayton, Ohio, where he opened Black Box uh, about a little over seven years ago. Black Box is known for sort of clever and witty comedy. It's known for uh, just, it's an awesome destination for uh, date night, um, dinner downtown, and hit Black Box for a show. It's a great place to take out of town guests and um, just a really unique, special place. Uh, So obvious why we wanted to have a chat with uh, its founder, Justin Howard. Talk to me about improv. We're, what we want to do with you today is sort of give people some background, talk about black box, and, and specifically, how can people tie that in? I want to tie it into a date night, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to get people to go, okay, next time that we go out for dinner, we're going to go downtown, we're going to get something, and we're, gonna, uh, we're going to incorporate a show at the black box mm-hmm. into that. What, for those of people who don't know, like I like to play really dumb, it's really easy for me to do. Uh, They go to the black box to see improv, right? Mm -hmm. Is it completely improv? Is it truly just improv? There's no guideline, there's no setup, there's no talk behind uh, backstage about what you're gonna do together, you and the other actors? Yeah, so we do improv in its hardest version, I think, which is called long form improv, and I'm gonna like geek out on improv for just a quick second. Uh, if you watch Whose Line Is It Anyway, or if you've seen mm-hmm. that show, which is most people's connection to improv, I agree that's called that. short form improv. Okay. Short form improv is where you get a lot of information up front. So if you watch that show, they'll say things like, okay, we're going to play this game and it's got a name. Right. And then they say, in this game, uh, this person is going to do this, this person is going to do this. They send somebody off stage, they get some information from the audience, and they play a game that has been set, right? Right. Um, Long form improv, we walk out on stage and we say, hey, we're going to perform for an hour. We need a one word suggestion and somebody yells out pine tree. And then we use pine tree as inspiration for an entire one hour show. Wow. That's not the exact format of every single show we Mm -hmm. have. There's some nuance in that, but that is long form improv. So essentially what we are then doing is having to create the fun as opposed to having a structure where the fun is kind of laid into it. So if somebody yells out pine tree, mm-hmm. do you guys go backstage no, and no, collect no, we yourself? Just start immediately. You start. And then how soon until like the word pine tree comes up? Like if I'm I'm not an improv actor, but if I was first, I'd probably be like, wow, that's an amazing pine tree. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like I already went there. Yeah. Sometimes it does and that's probably not the world's greatest start to right. a scene. But uh, <laughs> sometimes we never talk about pine trees. Sometimes it's just the inspiration. So pine tree might make us think of like 
you know, the holiday de- season or deforestation. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And then we might start a scene where we're standing in the woods and we're like, I remember when these trees were just babies. <laughs> Now they're all big and getting ready to be cut down. I'll be honest with you. I don't know if I can be a lumberjack anymore. I've and now it spins into like being the life of a lumberjack. Maybe. Yeah, and who's conflicted yeah. because yeah. he's been cutting down trees his whole life. But now that he has kids, he's not sure he wants to uh-huh. take all the resources off the planet, right? And then, right. It, and then you like watch his like whatever. Transformation. Yeah, whatever. And then, so essentially we don't create even like a plot line to it. We'll... Um, you know, just people essentially just look at it and it's like, okay, if if that's true of that guy, then maybe it would be true that his dad was like a stone cold capitalist and his mm-hmm. mom was like a bleeding heart right. socialist or something. So now right? is someone on stage going to be his mom? Like how many yeah. actors are on stage at that moment? Uh, I mean, we'll do shows from anywhere from two to usually eight that's people cool. on stage. And, and everybody kind of takes a role. On the fly. Uh, Yes, yes, 100%. So nothing's prepared beforehand. I think people would be, if you paid for a ticket and then you got to listen to us talk in the green room ahead of time, Mm -hmm. you'd be very worried about what you paid for your ticket because (laughs) the conversation is not about improv. It's not even preparatory. I remember one time everybody had to give a reason why they weren't the Antichrist, like by what the Bible may have called like the attributes of the antichrist right and then all of a sudden the person running lights is like hey it's time to go and we're like oh crap and we all just like walk out there and the next thing you know we're rolling so now we have different formats sometimes we'll interview an audience member mm-hmm. and just ask them about their life and then let them sit down and then we'll do scenes that are inspired by their life which is like a bunch of shorter scenes but mm-hmm. they're all inspired by the information we got um does improv equal comedy are they hand in hand no i mean i no, I guess in the, if you're going to an improv theater, yes. Uh, you're you expecting know, to see some comedy. You at least should be, yeah. yeah. I mean, the comedy comes from the spontaneity of it, right? And it's, so the way I describe it, because Dayton is pretty used to stand-up comedians, stand-up is about, let's say, a, a woman is a stand-up comedian, she walks around town, she lives her life, she sees things in the world and thinks, now that's weird. Mm-hmm. And then she goes home and writes down mm-hmm. like how to present it in a way that people can feel how she felt when she saw that. They thing. can relate to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, improv is like us in the audience discover that weird thing all at the same time. Hmm. So instead of then turning around and turning it into deliverable content, the discovery of that weird thing about life happened right in that moment right because we're trying to recreate the realness of relationships and whatever and for an audience member and you're talking about a date the cool thing is like you catch it a fraction of a second after we do and um, it's also something that you can't repeat to anyone right so if you and your wife go for a date night kids kids are being watched you guys head down you see the show and then you go to work the next day and you try to explain why it was funny to anyone. Right. And they'll all look at you like you're an idiot because you're like, well, okay, well, okay, so there was this, okay, so yeah, there was this guy, he was playing like a lion, right? And then he like climbed on top of a chair and it turned out that he was a professor who got switched into the body. And it's like people are <laughs> like, like, that's yeah. ridiculous, right? And it's the ultimate, like you had to be there. Yeah. So from a dating experience, I think that's why it's partly cool, mm. is it's a shared experience that the two of you have. It's mm-hmm. like this giant inside joke. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, only you have it and only you will ever have it because it doesn't ever exist again. We don't record a show and redo it. Like yeah. they exist once and that's it and it's gone. So you grew up in Tip, Tip City, City Tip High School. Tip Canoe. Went to Wittenberg, mm-hmm. discovered improv at Wittenberg. Is that Accidentally, correct? Yeah. Accidentally. And did you ever imagine these years later that you would be making stuff up for a living? Hmm. Probably not when I was in college. I mean, it was kind of a pipe dream, but I was still pretty stuck to the notion that like there would become a point where I was an adult and then I would do adult things. Mm-hmm. I kind of even like I got married to a woman that I'm now divorced from that uh, I think was even under the same. Just trying to notion. be an adult. Yeah, it's like she's nice. <laughs> she's, you know, I'm probably supposed to marry and yeah like that to, sort of thing and yeah. frankly for her she did too we were in our early 20s and I'm super anti getting married before like 30 yeah but um, so I don't know if that's you but uh, <laughs> both of us <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, but um, you know I think that's how I approached the world at that point when, so when you when you discovered improv you know discovered at Wittenberg had you already seen and sort of taken in whose line is it anyway so you knew what it was yeah I mean I had seen it on TV like everybody had it was so huge back then yeah I, I wasn't like crazy about it I okay. didn't I never watched it and thought I could do that I didn't ever have that thought um, when did it become a thing well I took a class so I, I went to Wittenberg to play football and when I was in high school, I didn't do any theater stuff. And like, if you're in the Dayton area and you're listening to this, this isn't surprising. Like sports are a big deal, right? For right. most schools. So I was football, basketball, and baseball for the first couple of years. Um, so you're just a straight up jock. I was. I was second team Aloha linebacker. Wow. Like I, yeah, like I was pretty good at it. I started, you know, basketball and so on. Um, so I went to Wittenberg to play football. And my freshman year, I hurt my neck. And though the doctor, who is also the Reds doctor, so at some point maybe I'll get sued for this since this is public, but we won't say his name. Uh, well, people can do the math. Yeah. Um, he wanted to shoot cortisone in my neck, and my mom was like, "Oh no, you know this is wow. Whether he's in college or not, I'm not letting that happen." So we went to a neurologist. I think Kettering Health Network. And he was like, no, 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 you're going to be paralyzed if you keep playing. Wow. So if you're ever wor- curious as to why the Reds can't win and they're always injured, maybe it's because they have a different philosophy. But uh, So it was like this immediate abrupt end to a thing. And um, Freshman year. Freshman year. And college sports, even if you're not at like Ohio State, they treat it like it's a job. It's kind of ridiculous what they do to kids. Yeah, um, I always tell people, they're like, what was college basketball like? I'm like, it's seven hours a day. Yeah, yeah. You know, between all the things, it's seven to eight hours a day. Ridiculous, truly. Yeah. But because I was in that mode, it was everything about weightlifting and, you know, running and getting ready. And mm-hmm. So uh, when football ended, I just felt like I needed to be a part of something. So a friend of mine was signing up to be a resident advisor. And mm-hmm. so I was like, oh, I'll try that. And I got it. And a resident advisor, if you're not familiar and you're listening, is uh, a college's system to keep order in a dorm where they pay a 19-year-old to watch a bunch of 18-year-olds. Right. <laughs> basically the entire premise, and it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but one of the benefits of that was that you got first pick of classes on campus. And so I went to the registrar's office because I knew this wouldn't happen again until I was a senior. And I asked what class filled up first, and they said it's called Improvisation of the Theater. And I'm really? like, cool, I'll take it, because this is my chance. So I took the class, and it just like was so interesting to me. It doesn't mean I was great at it. I think I was pretty good at it, but 
Um, it was just so intriguing. Were you an outgoing? Like, if I asked people that went to high school with you and knew you as like the the, the football player, the linebacker, the athlete, would they have said that you were outgoing, good mm -hmm. personality, funny, life of the party? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't even know if I can remember because when you're in high school, you're so in your head about yourself all the time. Right. But I remember I had a teacher compare me to Ryan Reynolds once. Huh. Which is like, would say outgoing, right? But then mm -hmm. also, I looked at my high school yearbook a couple years ago, and there's a picture of me playing basketball, and the caption says, Justin walks the walk, but he doesn't talk much. So huh. I'll be honest with you, I don't know like who I yeah. was really, but... Maybe you just had your days. Some days, if you were a confident teen, you were doing it, and some days when you were in your head, you weren't. Yeah, and I think, you know, people put a lot into introverts and extroverts, um, and the assumption, of course, is that extroverts are improvisers and introverts are not. I can't tell you, some of the best people in my theater are like engineers and huh. just people who are just really brilliant. And maybe after a show, they don't want to talk to the whole crowd, but right. during the show, they come alive. And I think we typically use those things, and I say this a lot in my business training, that we'll use things like, oh, I'm an introvert. So when I opened my theater, one thing I realized is that people love to say this phrase, you guys are so... And it's like clever, quick-witted, mm -hmm. funny. And then they always say this, I could never do that. Mm -hmm. and it's frustrating to me because it's like, you totally could do this. Mm -hmm. This is a learned behavior. I didn't come out of the womb improvising, you know? Right. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of times people have this other notion of things. But for me, uh, I don't know. I don't think I was anything special other than uh, I was pretty good at sports and I was a pretty intelligent student. I wasn't a good student. I wasn't good at like being organized and doing mm -hmm. homework. I just could figure stuff out right. with, without too much trouble. Um, and so I think I had the capacity to learn and I had a drive that helped come from sports, kind mm -hmm. of this like, you know, if you're going to do something, do it and do it all the way and destroy everyone in your path kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Competitive edge. Yeah, a little mm -hmm. bit of competitiveness. So that's kind of helped me, I think, pursue improv because like anything you get to points where you're not doing it well yeah and it's super easy to be like well i can't be good at this yeah. but i kind of uh i think sports have helped me not allow that there's been a little bit of a theme with some of our interviews where uh, people that we're talking to whether it's car photography downtown actually right by you mm -hmm. car photography cars and co mm -hmm. uh, or say brett uh, and Janelle at Press Coffee, mm -hmm. where they actually went away for a while, meaning left the Dayton area mm. to either pursue it or learn something uh, or try their passion there. Mm -hmm. I thought I heard a story where you had done improv or tried to do improv in maybe one of the improv capitals of the world, Chicago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I moved to Chicago for a few years and was doing it there and teaching and learning. It's all kind of like one thing, to be really honest with you, because right. there's so much going on there. Um, and then I never moved to New York, but I did, um, I would go out there for weeks at a time and do like intensive stuff mm. out there. Um, and then for a while we would do an improv festival every year there. So we'd go out there and perform. Did you come back to Dayton sort of armed with the skills and knowledge and you came back with the purpose of opening your own theater? Yeah. Um, I mean, when I moved to Chicago, when I lived in Dayton, this is, I think, I am a huge fan of Dayton and the Dayton area. But I think when we grow up here, we have a really limited view of what the world's like, right? Mm -hmm. And in my mind, owning an improv theater, because I've always kind of had this entrepreneurial bent, that owning an improv theater would be 
like Lock Media or Victoria Theatre, it's got to be big and they're right. paid actors and you know how do you sell 300 seats a night or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I moved to Chicago and I realized like people were doing improv in basements of buildings mm-hmm. and and it was cool because it was like hole in the wall. And mm-hmm. so when I came back here, that was a motivator for me was it doesn't need to be this giant thing. It could actually be this a little hole in the wall thing and that could be the cool part of it and so that's when Mm -hmm. I designed designed it's I really shouldn't even say that because I just painted everything black but like (laughs) when it when it comes to like the layout of the theater and everything it was purposefully so that it felt like you were in this little secret spot hole in the wall yeah and what year was that that you officially started 2012 it was Friday the 13th of July 2012 cool yeah and uh I guess I would say it like this. So business owners from all different ilks, right? Mm-hmm. So if you open a, uh, a certain type of restaurant, you may want to, you may want to like say fish tacos. I want to open a fish tacos restaurant on the beach, mm-hmm. right? I want to open a that coffee sounds like shop. a thing you've thought of. Actually. <laughs> I <like> fish tacos. <laughs> uh, you know, I want to open a coffee shop, you know, in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I want to, you know, open a glamorous restaurant in LA. Like there's mm-hmm. certain owners of businesses that probably have dreams of owning them somewhere else, Mm. right? Like an improv studio may dream of being in New York Mm -hmm. or or Chicago. Mm -hmm. What about having your improv studio in your hometown or here in Dayton is special to you? Well, I mean, what keeps you here? Yeah. First of all, when I was in Chicago, there's so many, I think there are over 200 live theaters in Chicago. Really? Doesn't all mean improv, but like theoretically it could be Mm because it's just a stage and it's got, um, so the idea of opening something in Chicago, first of all, was like, it's like I'm picking a fight with all the biggest bullies, right? Like, mm-hmm. why would I want to do that? But also, the cost of things in Chicago is outrageous. Um, and for Dayton, one of the things that frustrated me is, and still to this day, is that like we have the capacity to have a really cool city, mm-hmm. and yet this area is so suburban-oriented, right? Like. I can't tell you how many people live in the like South Dayton area that don't seem to understand that there's something more than Austin Landing, you know. <laughs> and well, we're trying to shine a light on that. <laughs> yeah, and and that's fine. Austin Landing is fine, and the Green and things like that. But um, Dayton is just like it's, and this is why a lot of these builders are moving in and starting to do stuff in Dayton. It's just like sitting there waiting and. Right. I got into a building because it was in foreclosure at the mm-hmm. time, and they were trying to stick people in there, and I didn't know that. The cannery one? Yeah. Wow. They were the people that had owned it somehow. I don't know the details of it. Even though it was like 90% occupied in the residential part, um, were underwater. Maybe they had like kind of mm-hmm. leveraged their equity in that. So they were heading towards foreclosure, and the company they used to put commercial people in they were just trying to get people in so that they could sell it without going through that process. Mm. So I didn't know that at the time. Wow. And I walked in and I remember I just, so the truth is I went to Colorado because I was working at a company and I got frustrated with them. And I flew to Colorado to take like a five day, just little hiking trip. And that's when I figured out that I had altitude sickness. Oh. So I passed out in a little condo I had rented and hit my head and knocked myself out. Jeez. And I woke up like speaking gibberish and uh, had a concussion, was throwing up the rest of the night. Oh. And so I, then I was like, well, I can't go hiking the mountains anymore. So I sat in a little town of Estes Park, which is in Rocky Mountain National Park. It's epic and beautiful. It's yeah. like Yellow Springs if you dropped it amongst the most beautiful mountain scenery. 
And I remember sitting there being like, you know what? I'm going to open an improv theater, like under the influence of a concussion. <laughs> and I came back and kind of because I was just frustrated with this company I was working with, I started calling commercial spaces and the cannery one was like, yeah, we'd love to meet with you. And I went to meet with them and it was, for me, it was exploratory. And they're like, okay, so where'd you, where would you put the stage? And I was like, uh, here? <laughs> And everything I said, they were like, that's brilliant. And I kept thinking, like, this isn't even brilliant to me. Like, I don't know why huh. you guys think it's a good idea. Right. And then they said, well, get us your business plan tonight, and we'll draw up a lease if it looks good. And so I went home, and I Googled business plan. For sure. Because I do not have a degree in business. I have a degree in communication. Mm -hmm. And I found one that was like a word template, and right. I just deleted their words, but I put words in that sounded similar, mm -hmm. but where they were like for business stuff. Kind of improving. No, 100%. <laughs> and I sent it to them. And the next day they called and they're like, this looks amazing. Let's do it. And I signed a lease in February, 2012. And then like two weeks later, I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? But then the process was rolling and construction right. was happening. And so, uh, how many changes were needed? Like how much, how much, oh, the place uh, was totally, it was, um, one wall, the, let's see, West wall had mm -hmm. been uh, was shared with another space that was in use. So there's drywall on their side, but there wasn't on our side. Okay. And then uh, the east wall of my space didn't exist at all because it went all the way through to the next space. So it was completely undone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Somebody had started to do construction in there because they had built out the structure of the bathrooms, but mm -hmm. that's where they stopped. Everything was studs. So yeah, it was totally raw. And they cool. did all the build out for me and didn't charge me a dime. It shows you the difference. I mean, that honestly, that if you're listening closely, you're going to hear just like a big difference in downtown, in our downtown, the health of our downtown, mm -hmm. right? Because in February of 2012, they were giving stuff away mm -hmm. and, and taking improvised business plans and doing build out for free. Mm -hmm. And in 2019, it's way more expensive and it's really hard to find space mm -hmm. because that that is our new era that we're sort of living in and, and watching happen right before our eyes of downtown, of Dayton. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. so much healthier than it was even just eight years ago, seven yeah. years ago. And I think, to be really honest with you, and I like some of the people that you said you're talking to, like um, Corner Kitchen, mm -hmm. though they came along a little later, Press. Mm -hmm. Press started six months before I did, so it's kind of been fun to watch our mm -hmm. two businesses go. Um, Trailblazers. Yeah, well... Really? I mean, some people in Dayton think I'm a, a jerk. I'll, like, tone down my language real quick. Okay. And I am a jerk. Why? Because I hate people that act like they're doing something and they're not, mm -hmm. while some of us are doing something, and it's been really freaking hard. I mean, I went, in 2014, two years after I uh, my ex-wife, Dear John, texted me. My uh, dad found out he had cancer, and his kidney had to have his kidney removed. My mom found out she had breast cancer. Oh, man. And uh, one of the founding members of the theater, the first, really first performer, and one of our best ever, uh, committed suicide. Oh, wow. It was like this in this time frame. And in that time, I was struggling to make enough money just to pay bills for mm -hmm. the theater, let alone my own bills, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I see people all the time, like there's about to be an event uh, that will have happened after people listen to this, right? Right. Uh, and there are so many people a part of that event, this is the reason I'm not anymore, where they're just like, they show up at all the Dayton stuff right. so they can tag their name to it, mm -hmm. but they're not down there slugging it out like some of us are, right? Mm -hmm. And when like the shooting happened in the Oregon district, uh, the tornadoes, 
the KKK rally. You got to see some of these businesses that have been downtown mm-hmm. kind of slugging it out for a while. Right. While, you know, places like Austin Landing were just exploding and everyone loved fish tacos down there. Right? There's no fish tacos <laughs> at Austin Landing. Yeah, and you know because you've done the research, right? Yeah, I mean, if there were, I'd, I'd probably get them, but there aren't. But, uh, you know, when that happened, I feel like all of us businesses were like we're like ready to take this on too because we've mm-hmm. kind of gotten tough skin since we've been down here. And, um, you know, we were talking about Jason Woodard earlier who's doing a lot of development downtown. I remember I talked to him about that first project he did and the number of people who were like in his community of build- builders that were like, you are an idiot. Mm-hmm. Do not buy stuff in downtown. Look at, look at Austin Lang. Look at all this property. Look, north of Dayton needs developments. Mm-hmm. And like, and uh, he did it against everybody's advice, and now everybody is like, Ooh, in. Yeah, yeah, the companies from Columbus and out, way out of town, you know, right. are starting to realize that there's potential there. So um, I don't even know what question I'm answering here, but I feel like... No, you're, you're talking about the, the sort of new era of downtown, but also how a question that I ask people a lot who own businesses downtown, which is what's it been like to be in the middle of it, mm-hmm. right? Like... If I was to go open a studio downtown right now, I'm late to the game. And mm-hmm. it could still be great and I could mm-hmm. still contribute. Mm-hmm. But like I said, the word trailblazers, those of you that have been there before it was cool. Not, not cool. I don't really no, like no, that I think it's a great phrase. I love that. Before it was uh, acceptable to now call downtown is where we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. Back when they were giving away space, literally. Mm-hmm. To see it come around you, to see it grow and, and kind of become healthy again is the word I like to use. But you're kind of speaking to that and what it's been like. But yeah. that there's that we're not done yet. No, we're not. And what I love about like some, I mean, I could list a few, but like you talked about press, uh, the people that own Barrel House now, um, the women that own like Hart Mercantile and Luna, Luna and yeah. maybe some other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are just like a couple people I'm just tossing out, but they're gritty and they're like always very willing to take something head on. And sometimes that means people Mm -hmm. and sometimes it means groups and ideals. And I think Dayton needed people that were ready to get in some figurative fist fights, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, that means that some people love you and some people don't. Mm -hmm. But I think one thing that is true of a lot of the people that have been turning the tide downtown. And some have done some big major projects that I'm like leaving out that have made huge, sure. huge changes. Um, is I think those people are like, we're going to be our best. Like we're going to do the best version of what we do. And we're not necessarily concerned about singing our own praises or getting mm-hmm. recognized for it. We're just going to be good, and we're going to do the best possible version of what we do. And I think that's what the black box has always done. Mm -hmm. That's something I try to push people that perform in our theater, which at this point, I mean, we have shows Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I just just did auditions, so we're about to recast things. Hmm. Uh, We'll have over 90 people performing from Wednesday through Saturday. And we have probably another 100 or so, maybe a little less currently in classes, learning how to perform. Uh, and the same message gets put down to them. Like, mm-hmm. you have to be good to be up here. You're not going to be up here because we need you're a body, buddy right. or because I'm trying to fit some gender or race thing. I just want people who are really good. Mm-hmm. So, 
uh, because that's the thing that we have to present. Like, if you're going to make coffee, make the best coffee. If you're mm -hmm. going to uh, sell clothing, sell the best clothing. Provide the best customer service. Do the right thing always. Um, and I think we're really fortunate that we have, you know, a fair amount of people downtown that are really interested. In it. Let's talk about let's talk about black box. So, uh, Wednesday through Saturday are shows. Mm -hmm. Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night. Mm -hmm. What time? Uh, we just are changing our hours. What we do is we go to later hours in the summer, and we go to earlier hours in the winter. So, we're starting this week. It'll be Wednesdays from seven thirty to nine are the shows, and then we have a musical jam where we have a pianist and a drummer and sometimes a bassist playing. And you put your name in a hat, you get your name drawn out, and you get to get on stage and improvise, except you got to make up songs with the pianist. And people want to do that? Some. <laughs> uh, and then on Thursday, we have shows from 8 to 10-ish, and we have an improv jam after that is not musical, it's just improv. Mm -hmm. Fridays, we have shows from 8 to 10. Uh, Saturday, we have shows from 8 to 10. Saturday's pretty popular because we have our improvised musical and our Pianist used to be the music director at Second City for 15 years. So oh, he's cool. like a pretty insane talent. Um, so it's intimidating someone like me who is like regimented by schedule and time, right? So if I go to Tai Nine for dinner at 6.30 or whatever, mm -hmm. do I have to be at the theater by 8 or I'm shut out? Uh, no, I mean, How typically we'll start our shows at 8.10. I would encourage you to not show up past that because... Sometimes information that happened early in the show would give you context for what's going on on stage. Mm -hmm. And I can buy a ticket right when I get there? Yeah, usually. I mean, like in the summertime, we slow down because people don't want to be inside. Every nice day in Ohio, we are all under the belief that that's our only one we'll right. ever get, you know? <laughs> so so no one wants to go inside. Um, in the winter is like our big season. And so we do get to sell out points in the winter, cool. um, but not always. So generally you can buy a ticket at the door. You can buy them online too. If mm -hmm. you buy two or more tickets online, we'll actually reserve a seat for you. Um, so cool. that you know you have a specific nice. place to sit. So you can go online. Yeah. So one of the things you guys do, you mentioned it earlier, is uh, word association or you have someone yell out a word, right? What is reverse mortgage? I've seen that as part of your... Uh, well, first of all, that's the oldest group of performers in the theater. So those are the people that have been around the longest. We were for a while doing shows in reverse where uh, we would get a location suggestion. So somebody would say... Dublin, Ireland. Or something that fits on a stage, right? So oh. like... Oh, men's restroom. Men's restroom. Perfect. Boom. And then what we would do is we'd start a scene in there and then we would, the next scene that would happen would be the scene that seems like it would have happened before that scene. <laughs> and then we just kept going backwards in time. Okay. It's hard as it turns out because you can't go too far backwards in time where you kill characters out of your show. Right. Does that make sense? Because they then so. wouldn't have been born or right. something. <laughs> or you have to then see, the, imagine the kid version of that character right. or something. Um, so we'll do it occasionally. It's pretty hard, but essentially what we'll do is we'll just get a one word suggestion from the audience that will inspire the first scene we do. And then the first scene inspires the second scene and mm -hmm. we just, just roll through a bunch of scenes. We I like it for hours. Yeah. I like it. I want to, I want, I need to go. And from an audience perspective, this is the biggest misnomer is that you'll be pulled on stage and we do not do it. Occasionally yeah. we'll ask somebody if they want to volunteer to come on stage right. and tell us like their life story right mm -hmm. and of course people are always like you know pointing to their spouse like take them mm -hmm. 
don't do that. Right. You might as well wear a shirt that says, I'm kind of an asshole. <laughs> because like, if you point at someone you care about to do something that you perceive to be scary and terrible, right. like what type of human are you? Yeah. Uh, we never take people that are forced. We never, because it's, it's not good for us either. Yeah. We want to talk about uh, sort of this new, maybe not new anymore, but exciting venture that you're doing. Anybody who gets flown out to teach at a Harvard Business School mm-hmm. out of the, did you fly out of Dayton? Yeah, I did fly out That's of That's pretty Dayton. cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell us about that. About the actual thing or what I'm doing? Uh, how was your flight? No, no. From tell. <laughs> I got lots of flight opinions. Chick Fil A. As soon as you walk in, Russ Klein all the time because he's like the whatever facilities. Yeah. No. So what I would like to talk about is how uh, improv has sort of transitioned into you into a role where you're teaching people about business and life and how improv sort of correlates. Great. So it's super simple. When I opened an improv theater in Dayton, Ohio, it looked nothing like uh, Chicago in that. People in Chicago who are taking improv, by and large, are like a bunch of early 20-somethings, right? Mm-hmm. And I think what happened is they were in theater in high school or they did stand-up comedy some and their parents or their friends told them, you're so funny or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they looked up Amy Poehler's Wikipedia page and mm-hmm. they're like, I must go to Chicago. And they go. Yep. And there's good reason because even the theaters that I was involved in, uh, they would have reservations for Lorne Michaels from Saturday Night Live occasionally and you wow. come to a show and you're like oh Lorne Michaels is going to be here and it's for the sole reason of watching someone on stage and going that person's good and mm-hmm. then why don't you come audition for Saturday Night yeah, Live no pressure that's how they do it right wow yeah. uh, in Dayton Ohio I have gotten so few people that fit that same mold that uh. early 20s thing which makes sense because Lorne Michaels has never been at my theater so you're probably not going to make it to Saturday Night Live uh-huh. so the two Two types of people I generally get are people that either have had a major life change and it is like they got divorced or their kids moved out and, you know, Mm -hmm. they've only just been parents this whole time. So these are people kind of trying to rediscover themselves. In their passions. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the other side of that are people who, um, you know, I'm starting to speak in front of groups at work or I'm taking on new responsibilities Mm -hmm. and I struggle speaking in front of other people. Mm -hmm. Um, and I got online and I found out that improv helps this. So I took an improv class. So that's a lot of what, what I found out having to work with those people is that, um, in Chicago, they don't have to worry about you getting on stage and peeing your pants Mm -hmm. because you've done that before, like in seventh grade when you did your first, but for me, people get on stage and it's terrifying to Mm -hmm. them, right? And so I started looking into it. I'm like, why, why is it that you're smart, funny, clever, intelligent if we go have coffee? But I put you on stage in front of lights and an audience, and you're not, right? Right. And so, uh, luckily, a guy in my theater, his fiance is a neuroscientist. And so, she's down at Florida State, and she and I would go back and forth on things, and I would say, hey, here's a thing I'm noticing with people. And she'd say, read this article, check this thing out, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, essentially, what it has all boiled down to is your brain and what it will do to you in a attempt to keep you safe is a lot of times make you struggle with communication, right? And this is why sometimes we'll say to somebody like, no, no, you're totally good socially, but they don't feel it. It's because when they get in a situation that feels like it's a little too much, their brain's like, this is too much. And it starts doing things that make you not you. And these are like why your mind goes blank and these different things going on. So what I learned a long time ago is I have to start with anxiety and helping people understand how your brain 
affects you from an anxiety standpoint right. and how you can have control over that. And uh, I walk you through that in different exercises. Uh, and then we'll focus on things like listening, mm-hmm. um, which sounds like such a benign thing, but it's such a thing people can't do. Uh, some of the misnomers behind quick thinking, people think mm-hmm. that only special people are quick-witted. The truth is that if you come watch me on stage, the only difference between me and you is that I have figured out how to keep the obstacles to quick thinking right. out of my way. Whereas those obstacles pop up in front of you and you can't. You what's know, no what's an obstacle? What's an example of one? Uh, thinking about how you look, right? So uh. let's say that... Uh, Right now, we walked out of here and you're in real estate. We turn around and I say, hey, I got 2,000 people that want to hear about real estate, right? Right. And you get on that stage and you're a real estate expert. You've made your living in this. You know everything about real estate, but you can't speak eloquently about it because while you're up there, you're thinking about the fact that you are in front of 2,000 people. And you're like, oh my God, if I say something wrong, this could ruin my reputation. We won't be able to be as profitable as a company or whatever. Um, and so those are the things that get in our way, but mm-hmm. most people don't have the tools to know how to deal with those things. Those sort of barriers, those obstacles that pop up in our minds yeah. uh, that we think about when we're supposed to be just delivering or talking. Yeah. Because as much as you think you can, you, you're only really focused on one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. So even when you're driving, if you think about your attention, it bounces between mm-hmm. you know, where you're at in the world, how fast you're going, where's my exit, what are my kids doing in the back seat, what happened to that car that I just passed, right. where's the car that's passing me, um, you don't focus on all those things at once. What you do is you bounce around at like an insane speed. Right. But when you teach a 16-year-old how to drive, they are completely incapable. Yeah. Because they haven't trained their mind to be able to control those all those different inputs, things right? one at a time. Yeah. Quickly. Yeah. So um, it's really about first of all understanding what's really going on. So mm-hmm. people love to attribute it to like that's just who I am, and that's mm-hmm. just like total complete scientific BS Mm -hmm. but it's a nice thing to hide behind because then you don't have to take ownership for the fact that you for 20 years have been unable or unable to get up in front of a crowd and and do something right Right. Um, so number one is understanding that that's not the case and then number two is like understanding the way you have to reorient yourself so that Mm -hmm. you can become good at this and then it's practice yeah right I've been doing improv for 17 years of my life maybe 18 years of my life it's just it's a lot of practice right so you know, the most common thing people probably fight, whether we are talking to, like, say, our employees or we're presenting something or we're just like having a moment and we're presenting some, an idea to our families, um, you know, a stage fright. Mm-hmm. And so what is one or two things someone listening to this could take away and say, I can overcome stage fright by doing this? So, <clears throat> first of all, you've probably been taught incorrectly how to deal with an audience so when i speak in front of groups even if it's like two thousand people i try to look people in the eyes mm-hmm. um because this is a lot of information coming back what does that do for you uh, it tells me like where people are at right if i tell you a story mm-hmm. about my family going on vacation mm-hmm. right if i get in my head and I'm, I'm more concentrated on the story itself i miss all of your reactions right mm-hmm. And if I want to tell a compelling story, what I'll tell is a story that really connects with you. So while I'm talking to you, if I talk about the place we went and I see you move or shift or change or eyebrows move or right. something, it's like, oh, he's got experience with that or he's got an opinion about it mm-hmm. or he's got, right? And so uh, that helps me decide, do I continue down that road? Mm-hmm. Or so let's say <clears throat> let's say it's the Caribbean, right? And I say, oh, we went to St. Lucia or something like and that. And someone goes... And someone's like, yeah, they're mm-hmm. nodding, yeah, because yeah. your podcast can't see what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they're nodding their head and their eyes light up a little bit because we as human beings are not good at masking this stuff. It just comes out. Right. 
And so then I see, oh, he has familiarity with that. I don't need to explain St. Lucia to you. Then. And it gives you confidence, probably. Yeah, like maybe. as the speaker, it's maybe. like, well, he's engaged or he, he knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, the way I think about speaking is that like I'm in charge of you okay. and how you receive it and how you enjoy it, the audience. Mm. Good improvisers don't let the audience tell them what's going on. We tell the audience, here's where you'll laugh. Mm -hmm. You're going to enjoy this. You're going to enjoy this. And we're like leading you along. Though we're making it up as we go, mm -hmm. we're just like a tick ahead of you. Gotcha. Right? And so when I'm speaking to somebody, even like sales is incredible for sales. Uh, people give away everything mm -hmm. all the time if you're looking. But most people don't have the ability to get outside of themselves mm -hmm. and their own thoughts and their own insecurities. And, you know, I mean, how many people have sat in front of a salesperson that just unloaded information on them, mm -hmm. right? Nobody wants to know everything about your company, but they do want to know something. And it's right. your job as a salesperson to figure that out. Right. Um, but most salespeople just aren't good at that. They're right. really good at just like, well, the great thing about this company, is like, yeah. I don't care about your company. Right. I want to know if I can pay less for this. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and which may not even really be what they want. And yeah. that's, so there's a lot. They may of, want to know that they can yeah. trust you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in sales, it's yeah, a, can sure. I trust this person and their motives? But I mean, there's layers of it. And it's very complex. Like why, why someone is motivated to make a purchase, mm -hmm. to do something that would make some sort of change in their life. It's so complex. So for you to not treat that with the complexity that it has right. is, Silly. Is, is ridiculous, right? Yeah. Um, but I think most people avoid it because people don't know how to deal with it. So most people that teach public speaking will teach you things like look over the tops of people's heads, yeah. right? Yeah. That's because those people don't know how to deal with looking someone in the eyes who's looking at you like, this is boring to me, right. right? But if someone looks at me like it's boring, then I'm looking at other people and I'm trying to measure, is this a uniform thing, mm -hmm. right? Or do I need to just ignore that one person? Or do I need to go after that person mm -hmm. and bring to light something that interests them? Um, all of that, I spend so much of my time outside of my own brain. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a, it's a skill, it's a thing that you learn how to do. Like I know my world, you didn't need to prep me for a podcast. If you're right. going to talk about stuff I know, I'll be able to talk about it. Sure. Right? Um, it's trying to figure out that right now you're checking the clock because we're running up on time. Right? Uh -huh. It's like stuff like that where it's like, okay, I need to speed up a little bit. If I well, want to say something here, I need to say it right now. Yeah, and I have three quick hitters that I want to get to. Really quick ones that maybe we can drop in at other parts. We'll just kind of see how it goes. But Dude, it's um, like a speed round. It's kind of, but yeah, the first one may not be. The first one is, do you improv during the day? So like if you go to the bank, and make a deposit or a withdrawal. Mm -hmm. When you go order at Chipotle or wherever you eat lunch, mm -hmm. um, do you improv there ever? Are you what ever do you mean, like screw with people? A little bit. No, uh, Have you ever seen Better Call Saul? Uh, yes. And you know how he and his his uh, girlfriend uh, they would go into restaurants and they would just kind of make up a story and just riff off of each other. I mean, right. it was usually kind of criminal, but not so much in that way. <laughs> but really criminal. Yeah. Um, no, you know what? People are exhausting to me, and I like. And I like doing that with people that can play along, which mm -hmm. is what my theater has, right? So you get that fix in the theater. Yeah, and, you know, people are over... My personality is overwhelming as it is. Like, I can be intimidating. I mm -hmm. think someone who communicates well can be pretty intimidating. And I'm a large person in general, so, like, overall it can be intimidating. I don't... Like, for somebody who's working at a coffee shop that struggles with anxiety, and they probably do, right? I don't want to make them feel weird by being, like, a showman in that moment. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? 
uh, if somebody's fun, I'll have fun with them. Like, I don't mind that. Sure. Sometimes I don't want to have fun because they're not as fun as they think they are. <laughs> that makes sense. So it's like, oh, I don't want to engage in this. Like a vet waiter that comes to the table and is trying to be hilarious. Yeah. Like, just stop this and bring me my green beans. <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, okay, so second thing is, and um, ever had a celebrity guest that maybe takes a turn on stage? Has there ever been a Dayton area celebrity that's taken a shot at improv? Dayton area celebrity? Like, sure. Who's that? Yeah, Dave Scott McGowan. Yeah, Dave oh. Chappelle. Dave <laughs> one. a global celebrity. Yeah, okay. No, anybody. Like, just someone who was fun, who kind of tried it. They were like a special guest. Has, has a... So, uh, I would never take somebody and put them on stage without them knowing what they're doing mm-hmm. and having them do improv. Okay. Um, we have had different people come on stage and like tell stories for us so that we can do improv. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like fun, but if you don't know what you're doing, it, it could be That's the true, worst yeah. night of your life, mm-hmm. right? Because it's hard. It's really hard stuff. Is it because you're going to be made to look like the only one who can't kind of come up with that next step? Yeah, so improv, improv is really unique in that uh, if you can't participate in the way that it's supposed to be, it breaks down quickly. Yeah. One person can destroy everything. And really good improvisers can like deal with that and flip it around and do stuff. But man, after a while it becomes a lot. And mm-hmm. the, the normal propensity for a human being is to, to be very negative and deny things. And in improv that is like, that's a showstopper for mm-hmm. sure. So if I say to you on stage, you're a young guy and I say, grandpa, you're like, I'm not your grandpa because you don't want to be my grandpa because you're mm-hmm. not old enough to be a grandpa. It's offensive, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, man, that makes no, things I hard. Because now I have to explain how I think that you're my grandpa, <laughs> but you're really not. Now I have like, am I delusional? Am I dehydrated? Right? Like, that's a lot of work for me, but your propensity is to say no. So yeah, be negative. Yeah. All right. So last one's an easy one. How can people find out more? Uh, Instagram, Facebook, website, phone number. Yeah, we have all that. I mean, we're easy to find. That's a good thing about Dayton. If you Google improv Dayton, Ohio, I'm the only thing that shows up on the whole first page. I cool. Think. So uh, it's super easy to find. The, the website's DaytonBlackBox.com. We have Instagram. We have Facebook. We might have Twitter. I'd have to ask my wife. I don't, I don't really pay attention to it. But, um, you know, you'll see me in places. I pop up here and there at these different okay. things, business events. And so someone wants to bring you in to talk to their company. Mm-hmm. Um, how can they reach you personally? So Emerge Improv is the name of that business. So that's EmergeImprov.com. Uh, and they can reach us through that website or my email, justin at emergeimprov.com. Awesome. Um, yeah. And then, you know, usually it's just trying to figure out what you're looking for mm-hmm. and how it fits Cool. from there. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I know that, um, you know, we call this podcast New Dayton, yeah. trying to celebrate this new era. I'm old Dayton now. Funny <laughs> to me. Yeah, it's it, but it's like what I mean by that is uh, when when people think of Dayton as a as a thriving town, there was no black box, there was no press coffee, there was no old scratch pizza, and so it's just celebrating the new, even if it's not brand new, just sort of this new era. And you are definitely a big part of that. So thank you for all that you're doing. Well, thank you, and thank you for doing a podcast that brings it to light. Those things matter a lot too. So awesome. I definitely appreciate that. Awesome, cool. Thanks, Scott. It's a wrap. Thank you so much for checking out today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation, share it with your friends. Uh, Take a screenshot on your phone, post it on Instagram to your story or to your feed. 
post a shot on Facebook. Please help us spread the word about New Dayton. You can also subscribe to the podcast. You can leave us a review. And I want to give a special thank you to Katie Matthews for producing and editing the podcast. And a thank you and a shout out to John Waldron, who created all of the music for the podcast. Also, last thing, if you have a guest recommendation, please connect with me on Instagram, chip underscore James, or email me at chipjames at gmail.com. Oh, and one last, last thing, check out the website, choosingdayton.com forward slash new Dayton. Thanks again.